I was trying to think of a of a question that I could ask you that would result in the response "Me too." <laughs> Me too. You excited to be back, Sandy? I'm excited to be back. <laughs> oh gosh, this is the me the Me Too episode. There might have to be more than one, Nora. I don't know the way things are <laughs> shaken down. There there will likely be more than one. So can we talk about Patrick Brown? Can we talk about Patrick Brown? But before before we get into the uh, the Me Too part of the discussion. Can we talk about how that was the worst press conference? Yes, yes. I have ever witnessed in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> okay, so can you can you walk us through for everybody that's listening that uh, that missed it? Oh my God! Okay, yes. <laughs> let's go through the press conference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So as someone who organizes press conference, it's like there's a few things that are just obvious to me. So I'm going to tell you what happened and then I'm going to do like a play, like a, you know, like an analysis, almost like a sports analysis of like what went down an instant replay over the radio, if you will. Love it. Okay. So we hear that, you know, if you're just a part of the general public interested in politics, that Patrick Brown is going to have a press conference at 9.45 p.m., <laughs> and I say that really weirdly because that is a strange time to be analyzed in the analysis section. <laughs> um, uh, at 9.45, turns out CTV has obtained, uh, CTV News has obtained uh, some sort of um, allegations that this man, Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario Conservative Party, has engaged in uh, sexual harassment um, or there's some sexual harassment allegations made against him by by some women so you know there's it's there seems to be a uh, like a, a script or some sort of play-by-play as to how men respond to these things Patrick Brown decided to go his own way <laughs> and not go, not follow that script at all, and set up a press conference where he alone at this press conference <laughs> at Queens Park, just him and a podium, not even in the actual press room. He set up his own podium. Um, decided to address the allegations, and this disheveled Patrick Brown. Stands in front of an audience of reporters, denies the allegations, almost cries, makes sure that everybody knows that he has sisters. (laughs) 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 He knows women people. (laughs) And and, um, that took him about, I don't know, fucking what, 60 seconds, maybe 90. And then he bolted the fuck out of there. It was the shortest press conference (laughs) I have ever seen. And um, and then and then he left not answering any questions. So analysis time. (laughs) Can't wait. This is going to be great. Analysis time. Number one. Who the fuck has a press conference at night for? <laughs> 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 
he made the six o'clock news on the West Coast, and then every <laughs> every hour of news the next day, we were all taking bets as to how long it was going to take for him to resign. Um, hours it took hours because that was such a disaster of a press conference. If you're out there. And you um, want to know uh, why that was such a disaster of a press conference. Some some things you should know. One, if you get to set up a podium by yourself, just make sure it's next to the door that you need to leave out of. If it's such such an intense subject, this man walked for what felt like an hour, but was like three whole minutes while journalists were following him, asking follow-up questions directly to his car. I mean, it was longer than the press conference itself was him trying to get away from the... It was your own podium. Put it next to the door. Oh, man. Jesus. Okay, that's one. That's a great Two. point. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Two, bring a friend. <laughs> bring a friend. Just you on your own, just standing there. <laughs> I have sisters. No, no, you wrote it down, man. Just just read, read the script. Don't go off script and start talking about all the women you know. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, which brings me to point number three. <laughs> You had a. Why didn't you just release a motherfucking statement like everybody else? <laughs> you went up there crying, looking a hot ass mess, uh, not intending to answer any questions. What was the point in having a press conference? <laughs> Four. If your staff all says we're gonna quit if you do this, mm, don't do it because they all quit because they obviously knew that you were fucking guilty. Uh, what else can I say about I this? got five. Go, I got five. go for five. I would say if you're going to do that, dye your hair a better color. I don't know much about aesthetics, but I do know that whatever skin tone he was wearing, like that pale, deathly... I'm guilty white tone <laughs> was not complimented by the sandalwood hair. Dude. Every, everything about it was bad. It's it like I hope that um that communications people study that in the exact way that you in fact like Sandy just gave you a master class, so you had better pay up in uh if you ever use this advice. Honestly. Just send me the cash. <laughs> just, I just, I don't understand. He's a politician. I'm like, you know, some random activist. <laughs> How do I know that that was the worst? He's got, ah, oh, Jesus. Anyway, I, you know, my, my bet was that, you know, it would take two days because I, I really felt what came through for me, uh, what he emoted was like this, um, you know, this uh, white guy. I will I will stick with it. I don't care what people think mm-hmm. through that press conference. So I thought, you know, it would take at least two days for him to resign. Mm-hmm. I think it was two hours. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. Three? He resigned. Yeah. Three or something. Yeah. 1 a.m. So I think. goodbye. Um, uh, no, no loss there. But let's talk about the actual allegations. Mm-hmm. 
And what this means now that uh, this allegation and several other allegations uh, against both liberal MPs, NDP MPs, NDP staff have started to roll out. Yes. So the first thing that I, I, I just want to mention, because some, sometimes for me, it, it really helps tying the threads of my life together. And Sandy, you're wrapped up in a lot of those threads. And so you might appreciate this too. But seeing um, the names of people resigning around him, I was like, these are the worst of the campus Tories <laughs> that we, the tiny the Tories. Tiny Tories. <laughs> just like, I know these names. <laughs> okay. So arguably they've met, they've found success, I guess that, that they hit their limit in having to publicly be like, oh, I can't defend my boss anymore. But, you know, first of all, you assume that these people are more sophisticated than having a press conference at 945 at night to basically watch the, the Queens Park Press Bureau's great, uh, the, the fantastic race or whatever the fuck it's called. And then all these people are resigning all around him. And it's these people that we know. And so it's like these are men who were shitty men as like frat boy university students and are surrounding shitty men today. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is just such a perfect way to look at this system. How does power get maintained around these shitty humans? And, And let's be clear, like one of the first things that I thought when I saw all those resignations, besides the fact that it was like, oh, these guys were pieces of shit way back when too, um, is... Yeah, these people know that these allegations are true. It has to be. They have to. That's why the, the that's that's why the the resignations come so quickly. They know that it's true. They knew it was going on. Um, they're trying to protect their own ass by resigning once it's coming out. Mm-hmm. But like, make no mistake that this was something that people knew about and was obviously protected uh, by these. Uh, people who we know to be reprehensible anyway Mm -hmm. what kind of rot is uh living in our political system well we know a little bit about that (laughs) yes we do (laughs) well i actually i wasn't even expecting to talk about this but you know in in the case of the ontario liberals like we we've seen that directly Mm -hmm. oh yeah that's (laughs) right we should tell that story nora (laughs) go ahead Okay, so one, I'm going to only tell parts of it because it makes me so mad still, but um, there was a time not too long ago where Nora and I were working in the same office, living in the same city, and we were working for the Canadian Federation of Students, and Nora had this grand plan, and we were going to go to each of the major political parties' uh, conventions and get to know people or whatever. I don't know what she wanted to do. I was very hey. against this. I hated, yeah. I hated every kind of government relations. Nora will explain that in her own words, but she allowed me to start telling this story. So this is how it goes. Okay. So there she was had a good pl- reason to be there. What was it? <laughs> no, I, 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 I yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, Nora's got this plan. We sign up. We go to all these conventions. I was being a little shit. Nora had to drag me out of the hotel room every time. And there was, you know, they locked us out of most um, most uh, parts of the convention, even though we paid because, I don't know, the young liberals were are just as bad as the tiny Tories. And um, we one of the sessions that we were uh, allowed to go to was a... A hospitality a suite. 
<laughs> that happened uh, in the evening. Sorry, it was supposed to be a social, you know, like where you network with politicians and bureaucrats and you get to know, well, there weren't any bureaucrats there, but you network with the politicians and party staff and you make your connections. This was not a social. This was a fucking party. And it was not just a party. It was like, what, a Super Bowl-themed party or some sort of sport-themed party? Tailgate. A, oh, it was a tailgate-themed party <laughs> in a hotel room where the Liberal Party had hired women, scantily clad women, to hand out... Or dirt, like I don't, I don't even really know what was going on. I walked in, like, what the hell is happening? There's, there's like, next to naked women walking around, like, you know, who would greet you and uh, I don't know, try to make most of the men in the room feel good because there was only a few women. And Nora and I would like go up to to women politicians and be like, is this a regular thing? And they would just shake their heads and be like, this is really annoying. I know this is awful. <laughs> just. Mm -hmm. I think I left pretty quickly, actually, because I was so angry at both you, the situation, <laughs> everyone that I recognized, because it was like it was this rockin' misogynist party. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It was like a, a frat boy um, fantasy mm -hmm. and, and and something that you'd kind of expect to see maybe in first year university, I guess. Absolutely. Um, where like the scantily clad women might be like like me and my friends because like we're in first year right like it's just you know you're not hiring women to do this <laughs> except you'd look around and then there's like oh there's a former provincial cabinet minister oh there's a current mpp oh there's someone from a ministry we have to deal with all the time like it's just so gross yeah yeah they're all in suits very few women also in suits <laughs> and then just a whole bunch of ladies <laughs> delivering the fun for the frat part I just I could not believe it for me that that weekend was kind of that was the peak of what was wrong with that weekend but I don't know if you remember immediately although I suspect you'll remember when I mentioned this but I also felt like the way that the women and the racialized members of the party were treated at that convention was so obviously disgusting and so what I mean by that was it was always women and racialized delegates who were holding the door open for everybody, who were running around coordinating things, yeah. who were not the serious members of the party. And the serious members of the party were the white, older men wearing suits. One of the, one of the things that I remember really well was, was you and I standing at a door being held open by a racialized woman, and they, were, they refused to let us in. While, uh, do you remember there was a guy with like an IBM uh, name tag? Yeah. And, and and he's like, oh yeah, in and out, in and out, no problem. And I was like, what what the fuck? Like, buddy here from IBM is allowed in? Like, why are we not allowed in? And yeah, there was no we, answer. We paid just... our way to go to the convention, just like any of the other observers. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, yep. and uh we were being kept outside. The, uh, even at dinner, remember? Like, it was like, oh, the dinner yeah. cost... <laughs> was part of the convention fee. Will you please let us eat? <laughs> yes. Just... And yeah, it was just the racialized women at the door who had to go check with, I don't know, the white overlords about whether or not we were permitted to eat or whether or not we were permitted to attend a session on uh, education policy or whether or not we were permitted to attend the frat party social. Right. And, and I believe it was only because we were with uh, a couple of young liberal delegates from Toronto 
uh, that we were able to like pick up the scraps after the meal. Like, do you remember the one breakfast was literally yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, you can go in. Um, just you can pick around <laughs> what the delegates have left. It was like, yeah. you people are not better than us. <laughs> <laughs> no. What I found fascinating was, so we went to that convention and I maintain it was useful because it actually let us see this world that a lot of people don't get to see. And it, it, when you're trying to figure out how to um, influence public policy, uh, there's a bit of a game when you're trying to appeal to people that think you can influence public policy through lobbying, which you can to an extent. But within the student movement, the, our biggest strength was, of course, mobilizing and being in the streets. And so I got to be in a lot of these kinds of suit and tie gatherings. But it was quite different than the conservative convention because the conservative convention, as disgusting as I find a lot of um, conservative activists to be, it looked a lot more normal. The The racial divide that we saw at that liberal policy convention was not present at the conservative convention. And what I mean by that is racialized delegates seemed to be participating in the exact same way as white delegates. And uh, the and like one of the socials that I went to was like Lisa McLeod's down home kitchen party. And <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, and the, the young Tories who were all partying and, you know, we're getting sloppy and gross or whatever, but not gross, like just gross in a what am I doing here kind of way, not a I'm afraid of these guys touching me kind of way. And then like Peter McKay walked into this social and these guys treated him like a rock star. Like it was just it was just boring. It wasn't repugnant in the way that the liberal convention <laughs> I found to be repugnant. <laughs> oh, God. It's Although like, we were treated pretty oh, poorly gosh. at that convention as well. So that's but but this stuff all goes Right to the core. And going back to Patrick Brown, and then it, probably a good time to talk about uh, the NDP kind of uh, allegations as well, because it's hit the Ontario NDP and the, the federal party, that th this is politics. Like, this is what we haven't talked about in Me Too is how just women are treated poorly in general. Like, when Aaron Weir was kicked out of caucus and um, Jagmeet Singh said, you know, this wasn't a sexual related allegation and then the women who made the complaint on behalf of other people which is kind of another issue they're saying that they don't want to be alone with him in a room and then a lot of journalists were asking well it, how can it not be sexual if you don't want to be alone with this guy in in the same room and it's like I for every man that I don't want to be alone in a room with because of a sexual um, attack vibe mm -hmm. let's say there's probably like 200 men that I don't want to be alone in a room with because I don't like them. I find them boring or I find them um, annoying in some way. Like it's just, that is just what it's like mm -hmm. to be a woman. You have to deal with men who suck in a variety mm -hmm. of ways, mm -hmm. <laughs> not just sexual. <laughs> 100%. Let's go back and forward at the same time and figure. So what's, what is there to say about Patrick Brown? What is there to say about what's happening in the NDP? You know, there's been a lot of what happened to innocent before proven guilty. Hmm. Yes, what happened to that? Let's talk about that. Okay. What, what immediately comes to your mind when you hear someone say that? I think of a court system. Mm -hmm. I think of a trial. Uh, mm -hmm. And how that the way our court system has apparently been set up is that you walk in on the presumption that the person didn't do it and the job of the crown mm -hmm. is to prove that they did do it. Mm -hmm. And now, like, what, what has been happening in a lot of media discussion 
is to say that, you know, Patrick Brown shouldn't have had to resign. He shouldn't have been asked to resign. Aaron Weir maybe shouldn't have been asked to, I haven't actually seen anybody say this, but perhaps that's a discussion somewhere. Because they have not yet had their day in court. There has not been yet been any sort of investigation. Um, you know, we live in a uh, democratic society mm-hmm. where there is rule of law and justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they must have due process. Dude process. <laughs> Dude protest. <laughs> This is this is how you know that Nora was in the gifted program. That was a classic gifted program move. <laughs> um, dude process. Dude process. I hope that's coming through clearly on the mic. Oh, yeah. Um, what comes to your mind when, when you hear those arguments? As someone that has, like, very rarely been given the benefit of due process in various uh, arenas, it's like... I'm sorry. First of all, the quote unquote court of public opinion is a thing that exists because Mm -hmm. we ask people what they think about people all the time. Right. You meet someone at Mm -hmm. a party and you don't know them and you're like, hey, your friend Mary seems pretty cool. And your buddy's like, yeah, Mary's the best. You're like, "Okay, what we just did there was sharing information or, hey, your buddy Tommy there is kind of a creep. Oh, funny you should say that because Tommy actually is a creep. And you're like, oh, that's really good to know. That's human, right? Mm-hmm. Does does Tommy deserve the, the, the benefit of the doubt or due process to make sure that the creep vibes that I got from Tommy are true? Or, or should I be questioning my ability to determine whether or not I like someone? Like, this is pretty obvious. Um, but in a lot of these cases, like due process, like... Patrick Brown's due process was that the guy put together a shit press conference and all of his staff was like, you're an idiot and we're quitting. That was his mm-hmm. due process. And then Brown was like, oh, shit, I'm all alone. I better resign, too. That's due process. <laughs> like, that, is yeah. a, that is a kind of process. He's not being charged. He's not going to jail. He, you know, his political career is over because apparently the guy, as someone told me, is kind of a slut. That was, literally, that, was, that was my intel was the guy was kind of a slut it's like well it was okay, all well, over twitter the next day people saying like oh everybody knows that about patrick brown this is yeah. what he does in the bars is tries to get young people young women to sleep with him yeah um yeah i you know and i completely agree with you obviously um but you know to take it also a step further it's like uh there are outside of court consequences to actions they're also outside of court consequences to perceived actions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, living as a black person, I deal with consequences to perceived actions all the time. Uh, and it's just mm-hmm. something you have to live with. Now, in this case, these aren't perceived actions, these are actions. And I don't give a shit about what the court's going to do. Don't trust the court system anyway. So go on ahead, do your thing, court. But the the people who are around, who are hearing, who have some sort of power to say, no, 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 we don't want somebody who has these types of allegations or thought of to be doing these types of things in this type of position. Hey, why the fuck not? Why not? There are consequences to actions. If someone in my family or my friend group, if I discovered that this type of thing happened I would be doling out some consequences myself (laughs) 
So I don't, I don't understand why we believe that or why certain people believe that because uh, someone is in a position of power, they should be, uh, I don't know, protected by the court before they get to the court mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. completely shielded from a community response from a community response at all. Mm-hmm. Pat, Patrick Brown's a, a case where it seems pretty cut and dry. Um, you know, Paul Bliss, who's also someone that you and I both have uh, mm-hmm. had interactions with before. Not like that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> Stop it. Um, but, you know, he's a he's a Queen's Park uh, reporter from CTV who's been accused of uh, taking his dick out in his office. It's like, OK, well, that seems like a problem. Mm hmm. And uh, and uh, Steve Pagan. Well, I was going to say Steve Pagan is some um, I think where things get a little bit more complicated for someone whose brain is very um, uh, small uh, because you're like, wait a minute. Sarah Thompson has a, a history of doing things that people don't like, you know, everything from uh, the well, like for me, I, I just I just can't take her seriously from the dreadlock situation of like a full year right but <sighs> you know all of a sudden people feel like they need to rush to the defense of steve pagan and it's like how do we approach a situation where the allegation itself is like a bit strange you know like asking someone to sleep with you is different than literally sticking like taking your, your dick out of your pants okay um mm-hmm. and you know he hasn't been suspended from his job there is an investigation that's going on and still there's certain people in this country who feel like they need to rush to the defense of Steve Pakin. And I'm wondering why it's like, can't we just let these things play out? Like, can't we just wait for the investigation? Mm -hmm. Can't we, Mm -hmm. can't we like everything that anybody who's from Toronto knows about Sarah Thompson and then, and what you know about Steve Pakin and you just let that hang in the balance for a little bit and just wait. Like, why do you have to say fucking anything? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's an element like I I've been kind of frustrated and um, critical of the Me Too movement also because well I haven't fully even still figured it out but there's pieces of it that I have figured out I just know that it fills me with rage for all kinds of reasons <clears throat> and one of those things that I think uh, where this um, this like reaction to must must protect or save this guy this dude is because it feels as though the me too movement um though um engaged clearly in attempting to make some sort of cultural shift in what is and isn't acceptable for how you treat certain women or how men treat certain women very specifically men and women here so we're talking about um because i don't think that other genders have been uh, really taken up by this movement it's very individualistic. It's like search and destroy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We we just uh, recorded about uh, the dangers of of thinking individually when you're trying to organize. Like it's it feels like the same thing. And what happens in those moments is if it's all about an individual um, shift in culture, then it's only mm-hmm. the most powerful women or women with access to the most most powerful men. Who are going to see that that shift? Because it doesn't. It, there there is no pressure. There's no uh, systemic shift that's going to happen. That's going <laughs> to, to use an economic term, I suppose, trickle down 
to the to the masses like there's nothing it's a seek and destroy and that can only go on for so long and that makes me really frustrated when it is like that someone can think oh we must save steve pakin because it's not about or oh we must save patrick brown and make sure that he has his individual day in court because it's not actually about a culture where the liberal party can throw a tailgate frat party at a freaking convention where you're supposed to be talking about policy. It's about individual men having individual interactions with individual women that were individually upsetting. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I have also been thinking deeply about how this plays itself out. Part of how neoliberalism has taken hold in common in common parlance is like our generation and younger can get away with uh, understanding activism to be we're going to take down Patrick Brown because the guy is uh, an asshole. And when that becomes your frame, then all of a sudden that also becomes what protects the system against systemic change. Because all people are doing are making individualized comments. And and I think that, that the NDP's approach to Aaron Weir might be um, a little uh, instructive on all this stuff because it's like, what happened in that situation? Like out of nowhere, they've suspended a guy after an email was sent to the whole caucus and then leaked to the press and the guy was trying to run for chair and no one wanted him to run for chair. And then all of a sudden it became about him and now he's out of the caucus. It's like, that seems like a really great opportunity to step back and say, okay, what are the systems within the NDP caucus that facilitate maybe a man trying to run for a position like this without any support uh, or uh, an MP's personal email to someone being sent to everybody and then making it about an individual issue. And then all of a sudden we're only talking about Aaron Weir and we're not talking about a generalized culture that may or may not exist within the party um, that privileges men, boisterous men, loud men, men that take up space or whatever. Then then all of a sudden it's like, well, has Me Too gone too far? And it's like, Me Too hasn't fucking done anything, actually. Getting rid of, <laughs> yeah. getting rid of Patrick B- Brown is not changing anything in the Conservative Party. No, not a thing. And, uh, like, again, let's be clear. All of those people... Um, you know, the, the names that we recognize as staff, they're still working there. They all still went to work the next day if the reports are to be believed. And all of those people knew and all of those people protected uh, Patrick Brown and they're still there. So that is po- that could possibly happen again. And out, out of all of this, you know, you know, we're talking about Ontario politics, but this can be or Ontario and Canadian politics, but this can be. Um, you know, this comment can be brought into the entire Me Too movement. Out of all of this, there is zero focus on the women. Mm-hmm. Besides besides the telling of their stories and the ability to name the men, there's, there's like, I haven't seen anybody talk about uh, supports to be put in place, what we can do to make sure that women are safe where they are, None of that comes into the collective imagination. It's just seek and destroy. And I don't understand how that's supposed to help. Well, certainly me. (laughs) I I don't know. Like, how is that? How is that supposed to help women en masse who are experiencing this every day? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. 
it's like there's a cultural shift for men in power. If you are in power and visible, your life will be destroyed potentially if someone seeks and destroys you individually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and? Yeah. Well, and part of it, though, actually goes back to the fact that um, the systemic changes that need to be introduced, need to be thought of, need to be debated, uh, are all within the realm of the same men. Like the conservative party that protected Patrick Brown is not going to be the conservative party that comes up with the way to make sure Patrick Brown doesn't happen again. Exactly. When you have the same men creating a structure that sucks and then having to maybe tinker with that structure to make it suck less, it's still going to suck. And and then what you get are weird expressions that don't necessarily make immediate sense. And so what I'm thinking in this case is um, when when Nathan Cullen walked right into the liberal trap where he was kind of oddly defending uh, religious organizations who want to take Canada summer jobs money to hire students to fight abortion or something like this. Oh, my God. What it felt like (laughs) to me was that there's just no women around to Mm -hmm. be like, here is your line. This is what you're going to say. (laughs) And in absence of that, you have like a guy who is kind of like very clearly not really sure about the issue, not sure about how to communicate it. And when the camera's on and he has to say something on the fly, what comes out of his mouth is complete foolishness. Utter bullshit. Utter bullshit. And so when you and when you generalize that across an entire structure, when you generalize that to a whole party, unless the men who enabled that behavior are gone, which they're not going to be because Me Too is set up specifically to not take people out who haven't had an allegation of sexual assault against them, then nothing's going to change. And instead, we spin our wheels on this question of how unfair it is and how they need due process and whatever the hell other complete idiocy that CBC opinions might uh, think uh, is going to get them some hate clicks. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, and like, I, you know, I don't want to like make people think that like, I don't think it, you know, I do think it is somewhat useful that people are naming men who should be named as abusers i think that that is somewhat useful i think it is way less useful than society believe seems to believe that it is right now right it is like my okay maybe not minutely it is it is a little bit useful but more, (laughs) more useful would be organizing a way to make sure that it's not individual and not just about men in power and not just about you know men and women as as relations i was thinking a lot about this as the um the women's march hit a second anniversary right on january 20th <laughs> I, did you just did you just die <laughs> sorry um something in me expired for sure i i thought it was super <laughs> fascinating and I, i'm going to preface this by saying you know, every, any action is better than no action, and it is great that people organized around something. But the idea... <laughs> you just said nothing. You said actually nothing. Nothing was said. <laughs> I just want to be clear on that. I, I know. I just want to make sure that people don't feel like I'm being mean, um, because my aim is not to be mean, um, although tough love maybe sometimes feels mean. But we actually had a feminist thing let's say a national feminist uh set of rallies because there's rallies that happen across canada to commemorate the one-year anniversary of a meaningless american one-year anniversary meaningless 
Like, wow, this is the anniversary of Trump being inaugurated. Like, what? Why didn't you just What have we done since then to stop his misogynist reign? Uh, Organize uh, another march. (laughs) (laughs) Commemorate. I I was, like, I I was so pissed. And, uh, you know, part of it was, it was January 20th. So it was the week before um, all of the commemorations of the one year anniversary of the attack of the of the mosque of the islamic cultural center mosque in quebec city and Mm -hmm. i it was like you know why are we why is the hold in date literally let's just do what we did last year i know what the answer to that question is and i sympathize with people who are racking their brains with how to get around this and it was just too difficult and so january 20th became redux right like a fine a sequel but like really you know we have we have no shortage of crises happening that are disproportionately affecting women in this country black women indigenous women muslim women uh and and it's like ooh, you know let's let's celebrate the anniversary of the trumpet trump inauguration i i just it makes me really sad yeah i think you and i have talked multiple times about how there is a dearth of a feminist movement certainly in this country definitely in the the united states as well i i think the fact that we think of it as two countries is like mostly pretend but so a dearth <laughs> of dearth of a feminist movement uh in, in north america mm-hmm. and i think um the to me that has been uh intensely punctuated by how the me too campaign has gone by the women's march um and by a lack of real response um to uh, attacking how misogyny works for all women in 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 both both jurisdictions so i i guess the answer again is organize and mobilize like it's just i don't mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. well but part of it though too is 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 being very honest about the limits of social movement organizing in Canada, right? It's like there is no national location to have a feminist discussion about anything. Uh, the only place that that exists is, is Quebec. And, and when you have a structural, uh, location to have these kinds of debates, what it does is it gives, um, it gives a center. And then as an activist, you can choose, do you want to work within that center or do you actually want to work outside of that center? And both locations are quite useful, right? when you have no center like people are just spinning the wheels and not sure what to do and then you have the me too movement which is all about blog posts uh taking down individuals and there is an obvious not only is there a limit to that but you can see very quickly how that can become weaponized against social movements themselves which is what i actually am quite worried about Mm -hmm. uh when we start to have uh something emerge does me too become the weapon that you know patriarchy manages to use against us to bring me to beyond uh what it currently is oh yeah because you know we can already see the the um the reports and discussions that are like has me too gone too far like you know the freaking um media is just waiting waiting Mm -hmm. to to put that story out of okay it's lost the rails it's lost it's you know whatever Mm -hmm. um uh, and that's those types of stories of course came out over the nz's and sorry case and we're seeing the same type of thing happening with respect to steve pagan 
mm-hmm. here locally. And so I just, you know, that's, it's absolutely can be used as a, as a weapon against the, the very few activists who are, are who are attempting to, um, to make this more than just a individualist uh, cultural shift. But you know, hey, uh, Warren Kinsella is going to be leading the movement, so maybe we shouldn't get too down. Oh my God. <laughs> We're all saved. Yeah, I guess that's part, partly like one of the things that I've been I've been interested in is is how um, there are interesting elements of you know the mainstream media talking about these issues, and so McLean's just did uh, two covers that insist that men pay more for the magazine to to represent the gendered pay average gendered pay gap that exists in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it says to me that if if the women's movement is on the same page as McLean's magazine, that we're not at, well, there is no movement, but that women activists are not necessarily fighting far enough because the mainstream media is not an expression of change. The mainstream media no. is an expression of the status quo. Yeah. Um, and as the status quo shifts, uh, things become more possible. And so McLean's could even consider uh, putting a cover like that out. Or, or more interestingly, putting, a, 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 of course, it wasn't the main article, which it should have been, but a side article about how the racialized women's pay gap is even more pronounced than the quote-unquote average uh, pay gap, which is not investigated almost at all uh, when we talk mm-hmm. about the pay gap, mm-hmm. uh, including by, by organizations, by feminist organizations that should know better, uh, that should be centering that uh, analysis. Yeah, absolutely. I've, you know, I've said before in many a talk that when we talk about the pay gap, the only number that should be referenced is the one uh, is the one that's in the 60 percent. Like why mention the 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 80 uh, whatever it is at now percent um, that mostly white women get paid on the dollar of men when there's a, a more significant pay gap? It should we should only be talking about that. Um, I believe it's by the Wellesley Institute has assumes that it's or has calculated that it's at about 63% for racialized women. In conclusion, it's not just about taking down the men individually. It's about changing the entire mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. And, and at least that's what I think. I was pro- I was trying to prompt you to say me too, but it didn't work. Sorry. Uh, it's but part it's it's like there's this is there's kind of two things at play. The first is uh, should abusive men uh, lose the power that they have taken? Uh, yes, they should. And um, do I love the idea that uh, while <clears throat> you know in journalism school it looked as if you know you would never get a journalism job? Uh, do I love the idea that a lot of men are going to be? Uh, uh, discredited and and resigning because of allegations made against them creating spaces for young journalists to get into a field yeah i think that's great i think that is wonderful um is that a social movement that is going to have enduring impacts on social policy on wages on how women are treated in the workplace no it's not it's not at all and we and we have to be very clear about that but we're not upset about what happened to patrick brown nope Nope, 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 nope.